We turn to Isaiah chapter 43. We read Isaiah 43 in connection with Lord's Day 1 as we begin the Heidelberg Catechism over again. We hear God's word. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf, that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, There was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed, when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles, and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I gave waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to drink to my people, my chosen. 
This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offering. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money. Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father has sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As stated, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 1. Question and answers 1 and 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, what is thy only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready, henceforth, to live unto Him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. And the third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we begin a new treatment of the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. Sometimes we might wonder why the Protestant Reformed churches continue the historic practice of preaching through the Heidelberg Catechism year after year. Some call it tradition. And we wouldn't argue with that. It's a tradition that harks some 400 plus years back to the Reformed churches whose confessional roots are in the Synod of Dort, deeply grounded in this glorious tradition and seeking to continue teaching the whole counsel of God as set forth in the Heidelberg Catechism year after year. Others would argue we ought to just focus on the Word of God itself and not on a man-made document such as the Heidelberg Catechism. In response to these objections, we emphasize that while this is a tradition, it is a good, it is a rich and biblical tradition. The Bible itself points us to the traditions that are to be maintained. Some traditions we ought examine and discard. There are other traditions that are good, 
Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 sounds a warning that's pertinent in our day. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. The Heidelberg Catechism requires of the pastor consistently to preach the whole counsel of God. And that's for the edification of God's church and for the glory and honor of God's name. A minister otherwise would be inclined to just preach what he wanted to preach and what he was inclined toward. But the Heidelberg Catechism requires that the whole counsel of God be proclaimed year after year to God's saints. But secondly, when we preach the catechism, we're not preaching the fallible words of men. We're expounding the scriptures which alone have that ability to work life in the hearts of God's children. A confession literally means to say the same thing as. God has spoken to us and we confess the same thing back to him. The content then of the confessions that we embrace is God's word. God speaks to us and now in summary form we return back to him again. His word. The content then is not man's word. And evidence of that is that the catechism is directly based on Scripture. We can see all the Scripture passages that are referenced. The catechism is constantly directing us to Christ, to the glory of God. And the instruction of the catechism is far more than just intellectual. It's a truth that warms our hearts. It's a truth that speaks powerfully to us as we hear God's Word applied by His Spirit to us. The demand, then, we conclude of the church order in Article 68, which requires that the churches preach through the Heidelberg Catechism and see to it that their pastors do so, is a good tradition, and a tradition that we continue. The Catechism serves as a golden tool to direct us to the Word of God, which is the source of all of our comfort and all of our hope. And ultimately, to this truth that is set forth here in Lord's Day 1, I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we make an astounding confession this morning that I believe that Jesus Christ, as my faithful Savior, with His precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins. We confess, I believe that He has delivered me fully from the power of the devil. We confess that He will preserve me. And He is so preserving me that not a hair falls from my head apart from His sovereign determination. And that this great God makes me assured of that salvation. He doesn't leave me in doubt. And that He works in me a sincere willingness and readiness to live unto Him. What a beautiful confession. And as we open the Word of God, that is the basis of that confession, we pray that God will continue to strengthen our faith and that He will continue to grant us that comfort we so desperately need. 
This time as we go through the catechism, I'm going to include with the outline a handout that pertains to quotes from other of the Reformed confessions from some church fathers just to demonstrate the fact that the catechism is not only on the basis soundly of the Word of God, but it also is continuing the heritage of the Reformed faith. And therefore we see our connection with the church of the past. We're not those who try to find a new way and establish a new tradition. We are those who unashamedly confess our connection to the church of the past. And we stand on the shoulders of the giants that have gone before us, confessing that firm foundation of our comfort, God's Word and God's promises. And we defend that foundation at all costs because Psalm 11 verse 3 states, If the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? And so, beloved, we establish and we delve into that glorious foundation. My only comfort. Noting, first of all, my comfort. Secondly, my need for comfort. And finally, my consciousness of that comfort. First of all, we think of the idea of comfort. What is comfort? And as we think about comfort, there are a number of different ideas that people might come up with. Some say, well, my idea of comfort is when everything is going the way I want it to go. As long as everything is going my way, then yes, there's comfort. I'm able to have contentment. I'm able to have peace. When everything is prosperous, when my health is well and good, then I'm comforted. The Scriptures speak of comfort in a different manner. As a process of reasoning, a process of thinking by which We hold fast on that which is good. And understanding that which is good, we then are able to deal with all of the circumstances in life that seemingly are evil in connection with that which we confess as good. Comfort then is a matter of understanding the greatness of that which is good as the highest good. Understanding the fact that I have that. And then being able to deal with then the circumstances of our lives in connection with that treasure, that comfort that is ours. So that though there's evil in our lives and there always will be troubles, the awareness of the good is higher than all of the evil. That's the idea here that the catechism is directing us and that which Isaiah 43 is establishing. We live in the midst of this world and we ask ourselves, who is God? Who am I? By God's grace. And God gives us the answers. Who is God? Here in Isaiah 43, I am the creator of heaven and earth. I am the redeemer. I'm the one who's bought you. I am the one who is exalted above all. There is no God like unto me. I am Jehovah. I am Savior, and there is no other Savior. There is no other God that can compare unto me. I am the covenant-keeping God, says God. And who am I? Who are you? A blood-bought child of that glorious God. One who's able to say, I belong to that God because He created me, He fashioned me, He redeemed me and bought me with the blood of His own Son. And now I'm able to live in the joy and hope of that glorious salvation. I belong to Him. 
And knowing him as the highest good, knowing that he's the one that's working everything together in my life, I'm able to face then the waters and the fires and the struggles with what assurance? He's with me. That's the point of Isaiah here. Fear not, O Jacob, O Israel. I formed thee. I have redeemed thee. I've called thee by my name. Thou art mine. You're going to pass through troubles. There are going to be difficulties in your life. But through it all, there is this glorious good that overshadows all the troubles. I am your God. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will preserve and keep you. And I will uphold you by my might and by my power. Beloved, what an amazing and powerful confession that God works in the hearts of his children. The Catechism expresses that marvelous confession here. This is the confession of faith of the child of God, who living in the midst of this world is able to say in response to the question, what is thy only comfort in life and in death? God! The glorious God whom I've given to know on the basis of His Word. That great God, He is my comfort. He is my peace. He is my joy. And so comfort then isn't just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's a knowledge. It's a knowledge of God and His greatness and His glory. And it's an assurance then of heart and mind, of my connection to that great God. And in the experience of that, I have peace. I have perfect peace because I know this God He's my friend. He's the one who has embraced me in love. He's the one who's begun a good work in me, and he's going to bring it to its completion. He's a God who will never let go of me. He's pledged his faithfulness to me. And though there are going to be troubles and difficulties, and I constantly face them in my life, he's my covenant friend. And as my covenant friend, I rest then in the peace The comfort of knowing that he's working all things together for good for me as his beloved child. He's my father. And a father loves his children. And a father looks out for his children. And he's my father who knows no limitations. He's almighty God. He's willing and able to perform everything that's necessary for me in the midst of this life. That's the striking nature, too, that the Catechism emphasizes here. This is a comfort that includes all things. There's nothing exempted. We don't just simply compare the good to the evil and put up with the evil because of the fact that some good might result out of it. Rather, the emphasis is that there's comfort in all things. Even the evils are God's loving hand in my life for good. That comfort is evident in the fire. It's evident in the waters. There's no doubt there's going to be such. When thou passest through the waters and through the rivers, I will be with thee. They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am Jehovah thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Comfort 
becomes apparent in all things by God's grace. And again, what a marvelous confession that as we live in the midst of this world, we know who we are in connection with the one who rules all things as God. And that comfort is knowing and believing that he's the one whose hand is evident everywhere in my life, working all things for good. That's Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Even the evils serve the purpose of the good, and the evils have a place ordained by my heavenly Father. And one finds comfort then, knowing and believing that the evil is not that which rules me. Terrible misery can be my lot. But Christ is the one who has his hands on the reins. He holds the rudder. He's the one controlling my life. And the waters, the fires, are in his sovereign hand. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my father. And our experience then is that which is set forth in 2 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and... And behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. That's the marvelous wonder of God's grace in the life of his children. Now, beloved, this is an only comfort. Men seek all kinds of earthly comforts in our day. And in general, again, man relates comfort to material things, earthly things. He wants to eat. He wants to be in good health. And so as long as he has good food, as long as he has access to good health care, he's fine. He wants peace in his family. As long as there's peace, all is well. He wants a society that's secure, that's safe, an economy that's growing in such He finds comfort. Others try to find comfort in ideas or thoughts. But positively, there's only one source of comfort. And that's what the catechism identifies as, I am not my own. That's the comfort. I am not independent. I am not self-reliant. Now, if you talk to people, that's what you're going to hear them say, that they're self-reliant. Those who don't love God and don't live for God, they take joy in the fact that they're self-reliant, that they're not dependent upon anyone else, that they're the ones in control of their own life and their own future. And man by nature convinces himself that my comfort is found in my own independency, the fact that I am independent, the fact that I am my own, And that I can control the circumstances around me. That I'm smart smart enough to make good business decisions that are going to get me out of trouble that others maybe get themselves into. They have comfort then in their ability to control the things around them. And their ability to maintain their own life, their own home, their own family. They don't want to relinquish any kind of control to God. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the comfort that God works in the hearts of his children. He has satisfied 
for all my sins. Strikingly, Isaiah puts that forth here in verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Note the confidence with which we make this confession. This is the fruit of faith. I believe that every last one of my sins have been forgiven. And I'm not my own. I belong then to Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds me. He's the one who preserves and keeps me by his grace and by his power. Now, there are many who can't and won't make this confession. They're not willing to say, I believe that Jesus fully satisfied for all my sins, that I belong to him, and that I have life everlasting. Some would even say that's cocky to make that confession, to claim that you know who you are and where you're going. And rather they tout then great humility, claiming themselves to be very humble and not being able to understand or know with certainty that reality. Beloved, praise God for the work of grace in your hearts by which he works this confession within you so that we take Lord's Day 1 on our lips as our own. And we make this our confession that this is what we believe by faith, that I am not my own, that I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and that every last one of my sins has been forgiven. God gives the gift of faith. And by faith, we know that connection with the living God in Jesus Christ. And my union to God is what affords me unspeakable comfort and consolation. To know that I'm His, that I've been bought with a price that can never ever be minimized or deteriorate in value. The blood of God's own Son. And to know that I have been delivered then entirely from all sin. And I am assured of a place in glory. That's the comfort. And that's the fruit of faith in my heart and in my life. And this union with Jesus Christ is based only on one thing. Isaiah 43 again, verse 3. I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. It's nothing of me. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I deserve. This is what Jehovah God has done for me, an unworthy sinner. He's taken me. He's bought me with such a price that it cost him his own son. And now I'm united to him. And that union is such that nothing can break it. The devil... Sin, nothing I do is able to break that bond. And Jehovah God now will preserve and keep me forever. The only reason he deemed me as precious in his sight, and he loved me. And he set that love upon me while I was yet an enemy. I was not lovable. I was not one who was worthy. Verse 10, verse 4, verse 11, I have chosen you that ye might know and believe and understand that I am He. I have declared. I have saved. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Verse 21. Again and again, God makes that outstanding point. I have chosen you. This is my work. I have set my heart upon you. Jehovah God established unconditional covenant with us in Jesus Christ. 
Now, beloved, that is your and my comfort. We are not our own. We belong to him. And he's the one who rules our lives and is ruling all things for our good and for his glory. The unique nature of this comfort is that there's no other source of comfort to be had. There is nothing else that can comfort. Man imagines again some good that he can seek after, something in this life, nothing apart from the cross of Jesus Christ and my union to Christ can comfort. This is our confession, beloved, this morning. Where is the source of my comfort? It's in God from all eternity as He chose me and then in time gave His own Son as my Redeemer. And this is a complete, it's an exclusive comfort. The confession, beloved, that you and I make is this. I personally believe that there is no comfort lasting to be found in wealth. There's no lasting comfort to be found in my accomplishments or what I've done. All of it is fleeting. All of it is uncertain. I have personally learned that there's no comfort to be found in my personal strength and my ability to control things around me. There's no comfort to be found in my health. I can be struck down in a moment. I can't find lasting comfort in anything that this society has to offer. This is my comfort. Jehovah God is my God. And He's given to me His own Son. And He's given me the gift of faith by which I confess I am not my own. I belong to Him. And so extensive, beloved, that comfort is that it covers every situation and circumstance in your life. Every possible trouble that you could ever face. Why do we need that comfort? We need that comfort as we face death and as we experience life, according to the Catechism. Now, we can understand our need for that comfort in connection with death. Death is fearful. Natural man wants to view death as just something that's natural, something that just happens in the midst of this world. But the fact is that many are very frightened with regard to death. They don't know what lies beyond death. And therefore, they try to establish all kinds of figments of their own imagination with regard to what's going to happen when they die. Instead of submitting to God and to His Word, which is clear, they say, oh, but at the moment of death, we're just going to be annihilated. We just won't exist. And that gives them a certain peace and a certain comfort because then they don't have to worry about whether there's going to be a judgment or whether they'll have to face God after they die. The terrors that are associated with judgment are real. One can't escape them, not only from the Scriptures, but also the testimony of God in creation. The creations abound, according to Romans, with the testimony that there is a God, and that God is a just and righteous God. And that God will hold all men accountable for their actions. As God's children, we understand the nature of death. Death is punishment for sin. Now, as God's children, sometimes the lies of the devil can begin to affect us. The devil works hard on those who are facing death. And he says, you can't get to heaven. You're a sinner. You're unworthy. You're worthy only of hell. He lies to us. He tries to get us to believe that God is not going to be concerned with you. Why would God be concerned with someone so worthless as yourself? You're just a speck. You've not accomplished anything in your life. 
The devil casts doubt. He casts shadows in our mind. Jesus, he might have died for others, but for you? How do you know that you're included? Just look at your life. Look at that incident. Look at this incident. How can you claim yourself to be united to God and to Jesus Christ? And the devil begins to sow questions in in our minds. Is there really such a thing as heaven? Is there really even such a thing as glory? Beloved, by God's grace, we say, get thee behind me, Satan. And we lay hold upon the scriptures. We need comfort in the face of death. Death stares all of us in the face. And God gives you and me this comfort. You are united to Jesus Christ. As you face death, you need not fear. Because the punishment that that death demands, Jesus took for you. Hell has been lifted. He he took it. He experienced it. So that now, death has been transitioned for you who are in Christ as a passageway into glory. You don't deserve heaven. Your sins are far too great to deserve anything of yourself. But look to Jesus. Look to the one to whom you're united. He took it upon himself. And that's your comfort. And that's your hope. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only answer to the lie and to the deception of the devil. And by God's grace, that's what we make our confession. My only comfort facing death is that I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's my Savior. He has redeemed me. What does redeem mean? He paid the price necessary to purchase me as His own so that I belong to Him. He freed me from bondage to sin. He freed me from my friendship to the devil. And He's the one now who preserves and keeps me. And though I know that I must die... I know that I will not go to hell. There is no such thing as purgatory. I know that at the moment of death, there is conscious bliss with my Lord in glory. That's the testimony that he gave to the thief on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's the testimony to me and to you as his children. He will bring me into heaven. And he will cause me to show forth his praise to all eternity. We need that comfort, beloved, as we face death. But we also need that comfort in life. How often don't we forget that we need that comfort now? We have many difficulties, many challenges that we face. We look around us, we see sickness, we see depression, we see Troubles in the world around us economically. We see war. We see drought. We see inflation. We see increasing sins. There are times when our jobs are taken from us. Difficulties in our lives make it challenging for us to make ends meet. We experience troubles with regard to our children, our grandchildren. Troubles in our marriages. We experience difficulties in our families. And as we stand before the living God, we cry out to Him. We pray in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And we do so believing He is faithful. He's the one who grants us that comfort now in the midst of this life. He's with me. He has a purpose for it. As a redeemed child of God, I put my trust in my Heavenly Father. 
I don't understand why this is required in my life. Why it's necessary that I have to endure this difficulty. But my Father knows all things. And my Father is the one who's ordained it for my good and for His glory. And I pray then for the grace to know I am not my own. And very concretely, what does that mean? I am not my own. I belong to Him and He has a right to do with me as He pleases. He has a right to treat me however way He wants. Whatever He determines is good. He's my Lord and I'm His servant. And I humble myself then before Him, knowing and trusting His goodness and His wisdom in all things. Beloved, we need that comfort every single day. We need the assurance in the midst of the difficulties that come our way. We need that assurance in the midst of the sickness and the difficulties that we face with the breaking down of our earthly bodies. When death enters our home and takes from us a loved one, we need that comfort that I belong to Jesus Christ and though I too will face the end of my earthly pilgrimage, He is faithful. As sin increases and as sin becomes more bold, as the attacks of the devil become more blatant, I need this comfort of believing that I and my loved ones belong to Jesus Christ and that He alone is going to preserve us. He will keep me. I can't. I'm weak. I can't help my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. But their union to Jesus Christ is my comfort and is their comfort. Nothing can separate us from Him. This comfort, the Catechism says, is even a comfort in seemingly trivial things. We think of what's the most minor thing that could happen? I'm brushing my hair, and a whole bunch of my hair gets caught up in the brush. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Matthew 10, verse 30. The Catechism making it so concrete and so beautiful That without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. What's the point of that? There's no such thing as chance in your life. No such thing as things just happening for no purpose or no reason. Every single thing that happens in your and my life has a purpose. We belong to Him who so directs and governs everything according to His plan. And His word will be fulfilled that all things will work together for good. It's especially, though, the reality of our sin that demands of us this comfort. I'm a sinner. Every single day, that sin plagues me, and my conscience pricks me. And every single day, I fall prey into sins that I committed yesterday, that I prayed about and I fought against and I still find myself falling back into the same miserable sin again. With His precious blood, He has satisfied for all my sins. Every single sin I've ever committed, every single sin I'm ever going to commit, satisfied. He paid for it. We can never forget sin, not for a moment. Every single moment of every day then, I need that assurance. My sins are paid for. My sins are covered. I failed as a parent. I've not been faithful in the training and example that I should have provided to my children. I failed with regard 
to being a faithful husband in my marriage, living faithfully with my wife. I've failed in so many areas of my life, and every single day I'm reminded of it. And yet, rather than dwelling on my failures, I pray for the grace, the strength to go forward and to sin no more. And I do so in the consciousness I belong to Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sin. And He now is the one who strengthens me. And His strength is such that He has delivered me from all the power of the devil. And He is preserving me. Oh, the devil has power. And I know the power of the devil. And I know how quickly the devil can take hold of me and turn my life into the way of serving Him. I can't stand against that power. My only hope is that union that is mine with Jesus Christ. He is all-powerfully. He so sustains and protects me that He will keep me and He will preserve me. Central to this truth, beloved, is that that union that is not my work, it's His work. He's the one who established that union, all of grace. He's the one that preserves and keeps me in union with Him. A union that is established by divine election, sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary, preserved by His Spirit poured out in my heart, by which I go forward. So, beloved, we ask ourselves again and again, how can I go forward in life? How can I face the struggles, the challenges today? The Holy Spirit makes me assured of that care, that protection, and that provision. And He makes me sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him. Now, how can I be conscious of that? How can I live in this joy and in this hope? That's the second question and answer of the Catechism. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Comfort isn't something that's just poured into us so that either we have it or we don't have it and that it's going to always be at the same level continually. We can't accuse God because of fears or doubts that plague us one day. We can't complain to God because, God, that comfort is not at the level that I would want it to be today. God brings this comfort to our consciousness through specific means. Our union, we know, to Christ is by grace alone. It's a sealed fact. It's completed. Nothing can separate us from the living God. It's established according to the decree of election in time, and we know it by the power of the Spirit. It's a full, it's a complete thing in itself. I belong to Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate me from that bond. That gift of faith by which God gives us to know that bond is a gift. God works in our hearts so that we know that life. Now that consciousness of that union, that's something now that exists in various degrees at various times in my life. That union is unbreakable, unshakable. But I don't always live in the consciousness of it. Why? My sinful nature. My sinful nature leads me astray at times. And so God gives to His church the means by which we might know that comfort and grow in our enjoyment of it. The Word, the preaching of the Word is the chief means of grace. The means by which I might grow in grace 
by which I might know more fully the wonder of that love and live more consciously for God and for His glory. And so I must make use of the means that God has given me. He gives us His Word. He gives to us the sacraments. We may never ignore these means. He gives us prayer. He gives to us the wonder of His Spirit working in us a desire and delight in those means. And we meditate on it day and night. We think on God's promises. We may never ignore those means that God has ordained to grow in grace. If we separate ourselves and cut ourselves off from those means, we cut ourselves off then from the source of that which is the consciousness of our comfort. And what's the result? We're going to live unto ourselves. And there's not going to be much comfort in life and in death until God restores us again to repentance, drives us to our knees, and brings us to make use of those means that He has ordained. Beloved, our faith indeed does grow. Our comfort increases. And it does so as we grow in knowledge and as we grow in the confidence that is ours in Jesus Christ. The essence of faith, that bond by which we're united to Christ, the activity of that faith, the knowledge and the confidence that God is pleased to work in our hearts and in our lives. Am I showing my submission to Christ's Lordship by living in that comfort as I ought? Am I making use of the means that God has ordained? Am I in the Word? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I looking to Jesus Christ who alone is the source of my comfort and my hope? My comfort is not found in leaning on my own will. It's not going to be found in pursuing my will. My comfort is going to be found in pursuing the will of God, which alone is good. And that desire for God's glory and that desire to live unto Him is the desire that God works in the hearts of His children. And God works in us then. That willingness to submit to Him, that desire to live unto Him, and that confession, I am weak. I am foolish. I seek comfort and happiness in all the wrong ways. And I need to repent of that in order to look to God and to look to His love for me and His faithfulness. Now, the Catechism specifically identifies that through the power of the Word and the Spirit, there are three things that are going to be evident in our lives. It's a triple knowledge. I'm going to become more and more aware of my sin. That's going to drive me to the cross where I confess my deliverance in Jesus Christ alone. And that's going to work in me thankfulness as I desire more and more to live my life for God and for His glory. We understand that these three things aren't things that take place subsequent to one another, but they're simultaneous. This is a knowledge that has worked in us continually and constantly and daily. I'm brought to see my sin. Not just a morbid understanding of my wicked deeds and a desire to rehash it. It's an awareness. My sin is an offense to this great God who's made me His own. This God who is my beloved God, who's redeemed me and delivered me, and now I am so ungrateful that I 
walk in a manner that I pursue my own will. How can I do that? Why do I keep doing that? It's an awareness of my sin against God, against His majesty, and a deep humiliation before God. Lord's Days 2-4 to are going to delve into that. But God brings us to see our sin so that we might know our deliverance and the marvelous nature of it. That this is God's work. God is the one that so unites me, body and soul and life and death, to Jesus Christ that nothing can separate me from His love. And He's done so through the wonder of Jesus Christ and His payment on my behalf. And so Lord's Days 5 through 31, delve into that so that I don't take any credit for my salvation. I don't look to myself for any power, any ability. I give all thanks to the one who accomplished that salvation on my behalf. My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, according to the sovereign, triune, mercy and love of Jehovah God. And then finally, Lord's Days 32 to 52, how I might show my thankfulness. Knowing what great things God has done for me, I desire now in a proper, godly manner to show my faithfulness and my thankfulness. And I do that then in the way of obedience and prayer. Thankful children obey and thankful children pray. Beloved, by God's grace, this comfort becomes more and more firm in our confession and lives in our hearts. As we understand His Word, as we grow in our understanding of it, we see God's hand, and we see God's hand for good in our lives. And our goal and our desire is to see that hand of God more fully, to confess the wonder of it, and to live more consciously in our confession that we are not our own. We belong to Jesus Christ. Our desire isn't just to accumulate facts. It's not just to grow in our understanding of the works of men who have perhaps established comfort in their lives. We want to grow in our knowledge of God and of His glory and of His greatness in order that having this comfort, we might live and die happily. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, Thou hast worked in us a marvelous wonder. Thou hast given unto us a confession that we cannot even imagine. We stutter, we stammer to say a few words concerning the greatness and the wonder of it. That thou hast seen fit to take hold of us, enemies, sinful, and to draw us to thyself and to give us to know a union that is everlasting in order that we might be rescued from the bondage of sin and death, of hell itself, and given to know hope and joy, and comfort. Lord, encourage us. Strengthen us in the enjoyment of this comfort. May we look away from ourselves, away from the things of this earth, and may we confess that truly Thou art the one who is our Redeemer, our Jehovah, who will preserve and keep us in order that we might show forth Thy praise now and to all eternity. Amen.